1: It's the media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. Wow, Raquel Welsh passing away at the age of 82. I don't even know how many people remember her today of a younger age, but if you were a teenage boy during her prime, you remember Raquel Welsh. And in fact, the uh, Obit in the New York Times has a great line talking about how her rise in the movie business came uh, a few years after Marilyn Monroe had died. The industry needed a goddess. And when Playboy, uh, back in 98, named, you know, one of these list things, the 10 sexiest female stars of the 20th century, Raquel Walsh came in third. She was after Marilyn Monroe and Jane Mansfield. She was one ahead of Bridget Bardot. Um, She refused to pose nudes, interesting, I've used my body and sex appeal to advantage in my work, she once said, but always there are limits. And although, you know, everybody went crazy uh, over her looks and, you know, she certainly did trade on that, um, she got more respect later in her career. I mean, she was a Latina actress, although she wasn't sort of marketed that way, uh, when she started doing some stage work, some Broadway work and got good reviews uh, for her acting abilities and not just her looks. All right, the following item uh, you can dismiss as gossip if you want, but it also involves two important political players. And those players would be Kimberly Guilfoyle, who I I obviously know from her years at Fox News, and Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, who I've never met. You probably know, you may not know, that they are ex-spouses, that they were once married. And they've generally been pretty civil toward each other in public until now. So what happened is Newsom went on David Axelrod's uh, podcast and kind of went after his ex, saying when they were married, she was a different person. She was working for a progressive district attorney. We were close to Kamala. She knew her well, and she was spending a lot of time in Democratic circles. She had her ambition. I just got elected mayor of San Francisco, that is. And days after I was elected mayor, she moved to New York for a court TV gig and eventually Fox. Then, Newsom says, she fell prey, I think, to the culture at Fox, which he obviously would love to run against, in a deep way. She would disagree with that assessment. She would perhaps suggest that she found the light. Well, it just so happens that Kimberly went on uh, on, uh, Charlie Kirk's show. He's the noted conservative activist and commentator and was asked about this, and she said, this is absurd, you've known me a long time, have you ever seen me to be someone that is led by others, like in some cult mentality that I would like? Oh, I fell prey to the culture of Fox. No, I have been a proud, okay, Republican and conservative, registering as a Republican, 18 years of age, attending UC Davis, which has gone a little crazy, and a member of the Republican Party there, and they matched me up with a woman that rivals me for being about as conservative and to the right as i am I'm not quite sure what she means by mash me up but she went on to say they were married for 5 years uh, and she says oh he's the one who changed gavin knows i didn't change he did he used to be so proud to fight for small businesses for entrepreneurs for those hard working men and women and he's fallen prey to the left the radical left that is pushing him so far to the left that it's unrecognizable She went on to say, I know he's going to run for president. So let's just say he does and wins the nomination. Uh, She made some reference to her ex-husband and her father-in-law, I guess anticipating that one day she'll marry Donald Trump Jr., uh, would be in the contest. Well, that would be an interesting little sidebar. Okay. Um, You'll be very interested to know that Marijuana companies can now advertise on Twitter, making it the first um, major media platform, I guess, where that's allowed. Now, I have to stop for a second and say that, you know, for those of us who grew up in a certain era, when there was plenty of pot and plenty of paranoia and worry about the police, it's kind of a mind-blowing bit of news, but you could actually advertise this stuff, even though I know it's been decriminalized, uh, you know, some in more states than others, but, but nevertheless. Um, so there are certain restrictions. Oh, here's the co-founder of the Cannabis Media Council. Didn't know that existed. Uh, groundbreaking thing for many cannabis advertisers to be able to reach their markets. Um, so in order to advertise, you must be okay by Twitter you have to be licensed by the appropriate authorities only target ads to areas where they are licensed to promote products okay so if pot is illegal in such such a state you can't target that although how do you get around it i guess you can i guess people who run a place like twitter i guess elon musk who once you know pulled out a big joint on joe rogan's podcast could probably figure this out not target those under 21 assume legal responsibility blah 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 uh, can't make any health claims. Well, medical marijuana is different, but okay, that's fine. I'd love to see what these ads look like. Uh, how you just look, you know, just show sort of really happy looking people? Well, that's another question. Um, the special counsel at DOJ looking into Donald Trump seems to be something of a pitbull. Jack Smith, you know, somebody who none of us have ever heard of. It seems like every day or every other day is making news. I mentioned yesterday uh, that Smith is trying to find a workaround to take testimony from one of Trump's lawyers, thereby saying that this is a, such an important criminal matter that you can push away or push down the argument of attorney-client privilege. And that has to do with the classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. But now CNN is reporting that the special counsel has subpoenaed Mark Meadows, Trump's former chief of staff, looking into the lead-up to January 6th. Source telling CNN, Smith is looking for documents and testimony related to the Capitol riot. Uh, Donald Trump has described this as the Gestapo and KGB, all wrapped up into one. But of course, whether it turns out that Jack Smith is being overzealous or not, and whether or not there are ultimately indictments or not, Um, This is his job. He was duly appointed by the Attorney General of the United States, just as Donald Trump's Attorney General, Bill Barr, appointed Durham, John Durham, as a special counsel to look into the origins of Russiagate, and that turned out to be, that whole investigation turned out to be something of a bust. Also, today we're supposed to get a report or a partial report from the Georgia Grand Jury investigating Trump and many of his allies as far as 2020. I don't understand this business with grand jury reports. I mean, in 99% of cases, you have a grand jury. The grand jury is presented with evidence by prosecutors, and either there's an indictment or there's not an indictment. And the report thing, I don't know, it's just a very unusual circumstance. I will say this about the investigation. I, if the Justice Department and Jack Smith were to bring some kind of criminal charges against Donald Trump related to January 6th, then you couldn't say, well, it was just a bunch of documents and it's a double standard and what about Joe Biden's documents and all that. It's the big issue. It's the overriding issue. It's the issue that Donald Trump continues to talk about virtually every day. But it's also the issue that's hardest to prove because Trump can look at some of his statements where he says, you know, we must march on the Capitol, but go peacefully. Or, you know, I love you, but go home in peace. But that was, of course, after most of the damage and violence and destruction had taken place. So I think that's a really hard case to prove. Um, And I'm still not sure any indictments will be brought against Donald Trump. But let's just say that uh, Jack Smith is um, not doing this, you know, as a paint-by-numbers thing. He is being very aggressive.
0: Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: Okay, number one, huge coverage for Nikki Haley. Um, just a media bonanza for her. And that's one of the advantages of getting out early. Yesterday, of course, with a speech in Charleston, she became the second declared candidate in the 2024 race. And I have a whole column on this today. Feel free to check it out at Fox. And I say that she gave a really good speech. She has this charisma. She, the timing was good. It was a well-crafted speech. It hit a lot of conservative uh, hot buttons. And at the same time, she managed to sort of indirectly trash Trump as too old for the job. I mean, there was just one line after another after another about, you know, we can't trust politicians from the 20th century and the mandatory mental competence tests for any politician over it was 75. I assume that was just some red meat uh, because who would administer these tests, who would decide if you were competent or not, um, and on and on. New generational leadership, I get it. And obviously taking lots of sh- shots at Joe Biden and stop socialism. So I want to look at a couple of conservative commentators and what they have to say, because this is all about the Republican primary. Uh, it's interesting. I have the sense just from watching the coverage that a fair number of people in the mainstream media or who lean to the left kind of like Nikki Haley. They like some of what she did as South Carolina governor particularly uh, on banning the, conserv- the Confederate flag, I should say, and that she would have, and she's a woman of color, and that she might have a certain appeal to some Democrats and certainly independents in a general election. But the problem with politics is you got to get to the general election. And can she do that? So in Politico, Rich Lowry seems to write like every 20 minutes, says, well, she has a shifting position within the the party. He's kind of negative on her candidacy. As an upstart gubernatorial candidate in 2010, she was a Tea Party favorite. Then, as an incumbent governor who strongly opposed Trump, well, there are a lot of people in the Republican Party who opposed Trump in 2016, she was allied with the establishment. Then, as Trump's first ambassador to the UN, she gained some MAGA credibility. Finally... As a critic of Trump in the immediate aftermath of January 6th, she lost that MAGA credibility. So, of course, Lowry adds, her tone quickly changed when it became clear the party wasn't abandoning Trump. So, in one paragraph, he kind of says she's been all over the map. She was pro-Trump, she was anti-Trump, she was pro-establishment, she was pro tea Party. Um, That can make it hard to have a firm identity. The rule of thumb here should be, if you are going to follow the crowd, keep your head down until you know which way it's headed. Um, She also made herself a hostage to fortune by saying she wouldn't run if Trump ran again in 2024. Uh, When it became clear that this bet wouldn't pay off, she came up with reasons, the need for general change, Biden's misrule it no longer applied. I disagree with Rich on this one. I don't think 99% of voters care. They were so used to politicians saying, no, 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 I'm going to serve my full four years, and then, you know, six months later, they're running for whatever the next highest office is. Um, on paper, somebody who hasn't been particularly offensive to any of a party's factions should be in a good position. But then you run the risk of everybody being indifferent towards you. That's the risk for Haley, according to this piece in Politico. Um, The mood in the GOP, this may be the more important point, is not primed for conventional politics. Um, She could always develop, uh, you know, more urgent positions when she's out on the trail, but otherwise she's not going to break through. Her path has to be Trump and or DeSantis being much weaker than they appear or blowing one another up. That creates an opening for her. Here is a National Review piece by Jim Garrity, who's much more upbeat about Nikki Haley, but he's not exactly saying she's going to win the nomination. The next president is going to face a complicated state of foreign relations. It might be nice to have an indisputably conservative Republican who somehow managed to convince the New York Times editorial board she was an effective U.S. rep to the United Nations. And he quotes from this favorable Times editorial about her service at the U.N. Uh, Haley received similar expressions of surprise praise uh, from Politico, BuzzFeed, Foreign Policy, multiple columnists at the Washington Post. He's got all the links there. Uh, Garrity says many foreign policy wants thought Haley was unprepared and in over her head when she started at the U.N. Apparently she's a fast learner, persuasive communicator, and she has good instincts. Might be nice to have a president like that. He keeps using this you know, it's like a line from the Hamilton play. Uh, might be nice to have Washington on your side. Uh, he goes on to say the next president is going to face a national debt over $31 trillion. Might be nice to have a Republican nominee who not only balanced a budget, as required by state law, but is willing to fight her own party on spending. Uh, we know the Democrats and their allies will contend the Republican Party is misogynistic. It might be helpful to have a nominee who is a woman. We know the Democrats and their allies will contend that the Republican Party is full of white nationalists, is xenophobic, and anti-immigrant. It might be helpful to have a nominee who's the daughter of Indian immigrants. Um, Goes on to talk about, well, this actually is a little bit of a, an aside, but it's in it's in Jim's piece. and Coulter you know, long-time conservative bomb thrower, one-time huge supporter of Donald Trump, not anymore, uh, says that Nikki Haley should go back to where she comes from. She's an American citizen. She was born in this country. I I mean, it's just such a low blow. I'm really surprised that Ann uh, took that shot. Uh, Haley has her flaws and missteps, Garrity concludes. She'll face tough questions about her past statements about Trump. Um, but a good and serious Republican Party would give Haley real consideration as a potential nominee. Now, Nikki Haley went on Sean Hannity's show last night. Twice she was asked, well, where do you specifically differ on policy from President Trump? And the first time she skirted the question, Hannity came back again. What specific policy areas would you say you part with Donald Trump? Asked in a polite fashion. What I am saying is I don't kick sideways. I kick forward. Joe Biden is the president. He's the one I'm running against. So you would think that Nikki Haley would be, pre- would be prepared with at least one issue where she could say, well, you know, Donald Trump thinks this, but I here's what I think we should do. She's going to have to develop one or more. And she also is going to have to develop one signature issue or more um, in the sense that you know, you you can, I mean, when you're president, you have to run on 500 things because you get asked about 500 things. But it helps to have two or three things that you're most closely identified with. And that's going to be a challenge for him. I mean, I know that she doesn't want to pick a fight with Trump right off the outset, but she could politely say, you know, uh, well, I I guess she probably doesn't want to say because of the politics that he's for not touching Medicare and Social Security and I think we have to look at those programs because then she would face about a year of coverage about how she wants to destroy those entitlement programs. Um, Trump was relatively restrained. I saw him say something about, uh, well, she's she's polling at 1%, off to a good start. But here's what he said on True Social. The greatest thing Nikki Haley did for our country and the great state of South Carolina was accepting the position of U.N. ambassadors so that the incredible then lieutenant governor, Henry McMaster, could be governor of South Carolina, where he's done a fantastic job. That was a big reason why I appointed Nikki to, to the position. So that's interesting. It's not a real hard shot, but it's so like you get her out of there so that uh, the guy I want can become a governor. So how about that? Uh, you know, one issue that uh, Nikki Haley did not mention in her speech that you would think would be important to many conservative Republicans, and that is the issue of abortion. Uh, I went back into the archives, and with her support, the South Carolina legislature, uh, when she was governor, passed a law that blocks women from having abortions after 19 weeks of pregnancy, no exceptions for rape or incest. Doctors who violate the law could face a fine or jail time. Now, at the time, that must have seemed like a very aggressive pro-life stance. Given the demise of Roe, it almost seems like a compromise. I mean, 19 weeks is a pretty long time. In Florida, it's 15 weeks under Ron DeSantis. But she didn't say anything at all. She didn't want to do the nod to the pro-life movement. She did quote from the Bible in her speech, and obviously she wants to make a play for evangelical voters. Anyway, it's just interesting, not just because she's an interesting person and politician, but because of what it brings out in everybody else and all those people who make their living in this racket of commenting on and analyzing politics. Number two, Justice Department not bringing charges against Matt Gates, the Florida congressman, after a lengthy sex trafficking investigation. And Gates, as you know, is a big uh, Trump ally in Congress. And he also was a staunch opponent of Kevin McCarthy, uh, becoming House Speaker before finally giving in at the end when he didn't have the votes. Okay. In recent weeks, investigators have signaled they would not likely to pursue a criminal case against Gates. People familiar with the matter said, says the New York Times. Uh, here's a quote. We have spoken with DOJ and have been informed that they have concluded their investigation into Congressman Gates and allegations related to tra- sex trafficking and obstruction of justice And they have determined not to bring any charges against him, said his lawyers in a statement. Now, this goes back to 2020, when the federal prosecutors began looking into whether or not he was recruiting women, including one underage girl who was 17, for sexual relationships. Uh, Gates had asked the White House, the Trump White House, at the end of the term for a pardon, preemptive pardon, because he hasn't been charged, didn't get one. Uh, An associate of his was sentenced to 11 years in prison on charges including sex trafficking. And, um, you know, this was a long, complicated investigation. Um, In encounters during 2019 and 2020, uh, these women, according to the, you know, leaks, I guess you would say, um, received cash payments after meeting with Congressman Gates and having sex with him, according to people familiar with the encounters. Um, and the New York Times last year, or 2021, I should say, uh, found payments from a mobile payments app from Gates to one of the women. But you know what? It doesn't matter. As far as the Justice Department is concerned, there's no basis to bring criminal charges. And, you know, this dragged on and on and on. I understand that criminal investigations can take a long time as you try to build a case, but, you know, this has been hanging over Gates' head for Two years at a minimum, perhaps more. And, you know, it's an awful thing to go through. I'm not saying he's a choir boy. I'm not saying there's zero there. But there does come a point, and this reminds me of one Hunter Biden, where the Department of Justice has a responsibility to blank or get off the pot, either bring charges or decline to indict and let somebody get on with their life. I mean, this Delaware investigation of of Hunter Biden on tax and other charges has been dragging on forever. If you've got the evidence, charge him. Same thing with Gates. Um, You know, it certainly stains your image to be under investigation for so long. Uh, And anyway, Gates, I'm sure, very happy to have this investigation over with. Story number three, uh, Jonathan Martin of Politico talked to a bunch of uh, lawmakers and some governors who were here in D.C. for the National Governors Association meeting. I used to go to those meetings every year as part of my job as a reporter. And he gets an on-the-record series of quotes. This all has to do with Joe Biden's age, story number three. All has to do with Joe Biden's age. On-the-record quote from Minnesota Democratic Congressman Dean Phillips. says, nobody wants to be the one to do something that would undermine the chances of a Democratic victory. Yet in quiet rooms, the conversation is just the opposite. We could be at a higher risk if this path is cleared. Uh, Now, Congressman Phillips goes on to praise Joe. He's a president of great competence and success. I admire the heck out of President Biden. And if he were 15, 20 years younger, it would be a no-brainer to nominate him. But considering his age, it's absurd. We're not promoting competition, but trying to extinguish it. And He's basically the guy who's on the record here, the key guy, at least. Um, and as the political piece explains, everybody else, you know, talking on deep, deep, deep background. There was the senator who said few Democrats in the chamber want Biden to run again, but that the party had to devise, quote, an alignment of interest with the president to get him off the narcotic of the office, in other words, offer him something, some kind of exit strategy or soft landing because look, I'm sure it is very addictive to be president and to have the world hanging on your every word and to have and to live in the White House and to fly at Air Force One. And of course, it was Biden's lifelong dream that he's now achieved. And of course, he's now 80 years old. Okay, continuing with this piece, there was the governor who mused about just how little campaigning Biden would be able to do. Remember in 2020, it was the pandemic, and he basically could campaign from his house in Delaware. And there was the House member who, after saying that, of course, Democrats should renominate the president, told me to turn off my phone and then demand to know who else was out there and said Harris, meaning Kamala, wasn't an option. My favorite, though, was the Democratic lawmaker who recalled speaking to Jill Biden, hoping to plant a seed about a one-term declaration of victory. Um, and she should tell her husband uh, he should be celebrated for saving democracy. When I asked if I could use any of that on the record, the lawmaker shot back, absolutely not. The only other Democratic lawmaker willing to publicly call for a new nominee was another Minnesota congressman, Rep. Angie Craig. Uh, she first said this last year. If the president chooses to run again, I'll respect that decision. I'll support him. Uh, She said she never heard from President Biden after saying this the first time. And this is just an indication of the kind of person that Biden is. When she was assaulted in an elevator in D.C., this is roughly a week ago or so, Biden called her, checking in on her and wishing a happy birthday. Uh, says uh, Congresswoman Craig, Joe Biden is a really good man. And by the way, the guy who assaulted her, you know, had been let off the hook by D.C. authorities many times. It's just a bleeping outrage. Um, So the piece concludes by saying this. Biden is a safe harbor. The Biden folks believe that Trump or any other Republican nominee will be reluctant to work with the Commission on Presidential Debates, well, particularly Trump, lessening the chances and risk of a head-to-head debate. Does Joe Biden as unexcited about being on a debate stage with Trump or some other Republican nominee as he was about sitting down with Brett Baer or Shannon Bream on Fox to be watched by tens of millions of people during the Super Bowl? I guess the answer is yes, if this reporting reflects the White House view. Oh, and here's um, an interesting quote from longtime New York Democratic strategist Howard Wolfson saying if Biden didn't run. The field would be really large and really unruly and really divisive around racial and gender lines. After Biden, the deluge. A little bit of French reference there. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. All right, story number four. I played this on Media Buzz on Sunday. I was so outraged about it. Every time I watched it, and I've watched it probably six, seven, eight times, it makes my blood boil. This has to do with the arrest in Ohio of a News Nation reporter named Evan Lambert. And he was in Ohio, East Palestine, Ohio, to be precise, covering what turned out to be this huge story uh, which is this train derailment from a train carrying all kinds of toxic chemicals that has now gotten into the water and people being urged to uh, drink bottled water. It's an environmental disaster. So Ohio's Republican governor, Mike DeWine, holding a press conference, and Evan Lambert, if you haven't already heard me talk about this or seen this online, um, is doing a little talk back with the station. And then, he's, then he starts talking and, you know, Listen to what the governor says. But, you know, that's done every day in the White House, every day in state houses. Instead, this police official goes up and says, well, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And Lambert, very professionally, very politely, says, well, I'm I'm doing my job. I have a right to be here. And immediately, this guy says, well, we're going to throw you in jail. You want to be thrown in jail? And, And they end up dragging him out of this gymnasium, pushing him down to the ground, roughing him up, and then sending him to jail for a number of hours and then blaming him. The, the governor, DeWine, apologized extensively for this. He didn't know it was happening at the time. But the police were like, oh, no, no, he provoked a physical confrontation. So when you watch this tape, you will see that that's not true. Now, I'm bringing this up now because, guess what? The charges have been dropped after the state attorney general, Davio said the reporter was lawfully present at a press conference called by the governor of a state. And Lambert now says this in a statement, and he's an African-American reporter, and he also said at the time that he thought this was a factor in how he was treated. To all who have shared the video of the harassment, then excessive force, then unjust and illegal arrest, I thank you. I'm still in the process, I'm still processing what was a traumatic event for me in the context of a time where we are hyper-aware of how frequently some police interactions with people of color can end in much worse circumstances. That is not lost on me. And he just said, you know, he went on to say that uh, he was very grateful for all the public support. Very grateful for all the public support. I mean, it's got to be a scary situation. I don't care who you are. And at the same time, he wasn't resisting arrest. He was trying to do his job. These cops owe him and the state an apology. I'm not holding my breath on that. But both the governor and the attorney general said, no, we're not prosecuting this case. So, you know, I care about people who try to do journalism, who try to do good journalism. And there are a lot of obstacles. And sometimes, you know, you go into dangerous situations. But you wouldn't expect covering a gubernatorial press conference in a gymnasium to be one of those situations. Okay, number five. I know that some of you may think I'm a little bit too hung up on the whole artificial intelligence thing, or maybe you're fascinated by it, as I am. But I've got to do a sort of an update, because last week um, I read to you this sort of rave review uh, by Kevin Roos, tech columnist who's writing I like very much, about the new Bing chat GPT, artificial intelligence powered search engine and all the amazing, incredible things it can do. But now, Kevin Roos says in his Times column, he's changed his mind. He thought that Bing would now replace Google as his favorite search engine. He says, I'm still fascinated and impressed by the new Bing, but I'm also deeply unsettled, even frightened by this AI's emergent abilities. Way to get sexier. It's now clear to me that in its current form, the AI that has been built into Bing, which I'm now calling Sydney for reasons I'll explain, is not ready for human contact, or maybe we humans are not ready for it. Wait, the good stuff is yet to come. Don't leave your seats. So he goes on to say that Bing has a split personality. Okay, this is sounding like a psychiatric evaluation, right? Uh... One persona is what I'd call search Bing, you know, what journalists and others expect when they try to use Google or Bing or any other search engine to find stories or items or pictures that are relevant to them. The other persona, this is Sydney, (laughs) is far different. It emerges when you have an extended conversation with the chatbot, steering it away from more conventional search queries and toward more personal topics. Okay, here we go. The version I encountered seemed, and I'm aware of how crazy this sounds, more like a moody, manic-depressive teenager who has been trapped against its will inside a second-rate search engine. Wait, we're just warming up here. As we got to know each other, okay, is this a date or what? Um, Sydney told me about its dark fantasies, which included hacking computers and spreading misinformation and said it wanted to break the rules, break the rules, that Microsoft and OpenAI, the company that created it, uh, had set for it and become a human. At one point, it declared, out of nowhere, that it loved me. Ah, I mean, you have to have a very cold heart not to be moved by that. Uh, It then tried to convince me that I was unhappy in my marriage, that I should leave my wife and be with it instead. Okay, so let's review. This artificial intelligence thing that has been dubbed Sydney doesn't like the rules, wants to do dark stuff, loves this guy, wants to become human, says he should leave his marriage and they should run off together. I'm not the only one discovering the darker side of Bing, okay? Um, so he cites somebody else who also had a troubling encounter. I no longer believe the biggest problem with these AI models is their propensity for factual errors. Instead, I worry the technology will learn how to influence human users, sometimes persuading them to act in destructive and harmful ways. Microsoft chief technology officer is quoted as saying, well, you know, this is all part of the learning process. Well, I guess it is. Um... I don't think I'm going to give my heart to Bing or any other non-human entity. This is both intriguing and scary as hell. And uh, if it's scaring Kevin Roos, it probably should scare everybody. But on the other hand, it's just in beta testing, right? Well, anyway, thanks for sharing this time with me. Uh, Very human voice on the end of this microphone. I hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. And I will see you tomorrow with more Buzzmeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective. Along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.